You're listening to PetLifeRadio.com. It's 11 o'clock at night. It's dark. You're sitting in front of the mirror getting ready for bed. There's nobody else in the house. You see something move in the corner of your eye. You glance to your right, but you don't see anything. Another minute goes by, and you think you see movement again. So you slowly turn to your left, but again, the room is empty. You turn back around, and staring you face to face in the mirror is a cat. You jump back, because you don't have a cat, and there's no cat in the room. But there he is, staring at you in the mirror. Welcome to Paranormal Pets, where you can always expect the unexpected. Each week, we'll discuss all aspects of weird or spiritual animal encounters, ghosts, totems, psychic animals, animal souls, animal angels, and animals in religion, with a little cryptozoology thrown in. Now, step into the supernatural world of pets with your Paranormal Pets ghostly host, Brandy Stark. Hello, and welcome to Paranormal Pets. I am your host, Brandy Stark, and on this episode, we are hopefully starting a series of perhaps some mythological explorations into the half-human, half-animal world of mythology and what it might mean for us today. We'll get started with that right after these messages. Now, time for something really scary. A word from our sponsors. Paranormal pets will reappear before you can say Bigfoot. Don't run away. It's hard to find time for your furry family member. That's where Camp Bow Wow comes in. All day play and overnight camp. Daycare and boarding for dogs. Everything is included. Large play areas for fun and exercise. Spacious cabins, comfy cots, even live camper cams to watch from a computer or smartphone. Camp Bow Wow offers the best care and is the place to go where a dog can be a dog. For locations and more information, visit CampBowWow.com. Let's Talk Pets on PetLifeRadio.com. Did you hear that? Our commercials have mysteriously disappeared. Paranormal Pets is back with our haunted host, our ghost host, Brandy Stark. Hello and welcome back to Paranormal Pets. I am your host, Brandy Stark. And as always, just in case you hear any noises in the background, I do have my grumble of pugs with me. Odysseus in particular is snoring, and that's a shame because I think he'd like this episode. So I do want to thank those folks who have written in and said, hey, lady, where are the other episodes? They seem to stop in March of 2016. I will give you a quick update. It's just been a busy spring. The spirits of St. Petersburg were disbanded, and I've made uh, St. Petersburg Paranormal Investigation. Uh, If you would like to see this new group, you are welcome to do so at SPPIPanelis.net. We are online. We do have a group page. We have a Facebook page. We have just about anything you want. We, in fact, have just started our investigations again, and tonight was our first investigation. So I am hopeful that perhaps over the summer I can build up a series of episodes and kind of release them slowly throughout the rest of this year so that folks know I'm not dead and that these episodes are still coming. 
In addition to that, I am starting a thesis for a third graduate degree. So this will be another master's. I've got two others and a doctorate. And um, this might be one of the last times I go through the thesis process. Hopefully. <laughs> I don't know. I am attempting to write on the dance macabre des femmes as a form of proto-feminism. So uh, in a nutshell, we have some medieval women who were great and well-known, but what about the common woman? There are some indicators that society at that point in time in the 1300s was starting to acknowledge some of the common folk out there and that these would be a morality tales for the commoner rather than for the wealthy. So we'll see how this works out. Just uh, please keep me in your thoughts and wish me luck. Anyway, for tonight, I was kind of inspired by this textbook that I am currently reading called Monsters, a Bedford Spotlight Reader by Andrew J. Hoffman. I am reviewing this for potential use in a class that I'll be teaching in the fall or co-teaching technically. And in this book, they have compilations of some really excellent essays, one called The Origins of the Half-Human, Half-Animal Creatures by George Louis Borges. And if you are listening, I apologize if I'm slaughtering your name. If you are a classicist, I will also go ahead and apologize now because I will probably be slaughtering most of these names. But one thing that becomes fascinating to us is the monstrous that is a combination of what nature keeps separate, humans and animals. What happens when you cross certain boundaries and you end up with these creatures as mythical beasts? So in the centaur, horse and man are mingled. And so at future episodes, hopefully, we're going to take a look at combinations of human fish, bird, and reptile. We also have lion, bull, uh, a couple other odds and ends that we can mix in there. But the centaur is perhaps one of the most harmonious and most well-known creatures in fantastic zoology. I do remember this horrible show from the 90s called The Legendary Adventures of Hercules, I think. I had Kevin Sorbo, and uh, they had centaurs in there. And usually these were fit and trim young actors who were wearing some sort of weird horseback to make themselves into centaurs. Okay, interesting stuff. We're mostly going to take a look at some of the origin of the centaurs and then Ovid's metamorphosis. So the centaur was alleged to be the result of an offspring, a mixing of a king, Ixion, who fell in love with Hera and was actually going to attempt to rape her. Well, you are not the queen of the gods without some perks. And despite uh, Zeus's philandering, he was very protective of Hera. And so he creates a copy of her from the clouds. And this makes sense because Hera is the queen of the sky. So she would have the clouds as part of her retinue. This female was called Nephele, Nephele. And apparently, yeah, mating a cloud woman and a king, you get centaurs. There is a secondary story that says there was a man by the name of Centaurus who mated with mares from a certain region, and that produced the centaurs. You know, so you get some really interesting ideas. The centaurs were supposed to be fairly wild. Uh, Think about this. They are a combination of human and animal. And as such, you have both instincts kind of fighting with each other. There is a very, 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 very famous story, the uh, Centromachi, in which uh, Ovid actually repeats it, the centaurs and the lapiths go to war. So the story is essentially from Ovid. 
and he is repeating a story that Nestor tells Achilles. So just bear with me. Nestor and Achilles are from the Iliad, right? And Nestor is the wise old man, and Achilles is the brat, essentially, who refuses to fight. And so Ovid is quoting a story from another story. Check. Okay. The story is told by Ovid in book 12 of the Metamorphosis. And if you have not read the Metamorphosis, shame on you. Get thyself to a library and check this book out. Along with Virgil and Horace, Ovid is considered one of the most important writers of the Roman era. And this particular edition is from the Rayburn translation. Again, I'm going to apologize for any slaughtering of names. Just bear with me, though. Perithius, son of Ixion and king of the Lapiths, had married Hippodamia. He invited the cloud-board centaurs to join the banquet at the table, uh, arranged in a leafy glen, which is kind of interesting because if that is so, he's inviting his half-brothers to come to the wedding. So that makes some sense. The chieftains of Thessaly came. I, Nestor, also attended. The palace was filled with the festive hubbub of the thronging guests. Now hark to the wedding hymn, torches and rising smoke in the great hall. Enter the bride, escorted by matrons and younger women, and looking like a picture. We all declared how blessed Pythorus was and his beautiful wife, but our praises effect as a lucky omen was almost undone when the wildest of the wild centaurs, Eurytus, drunk already, was further inflamed by the sight of the bride and the power of wine reinforced by desire took over. Tables were upside down in a flash and the feast was reduced to a shambles as Eurytus seized Pythias's newlywed bride by the hair and forced her away while each of the other centaurs grabbed any woman he fancied or found. The chaos resembled a captured city and women were screaming all over the place. We quickly rose from our couches. Eurytus shouted Theseus, taking the lead. You must be crazy. How dare you provoke Perithius while I live and foolishly injure us both? The centaur said nothing. He couldn't defend his outrageous behavior by words, but used his unruly fists to punch the prince on the jaw and to pummel his chest on a table nearby. There chanced to be lying an antique wine bowl richly embossed with figures in high relief. The bowl was huge, but Theseus was huger. He lifted it up and hurled it directly in Eurytus's face. As gobules of blood and fragments of brain poured out of the wound, the centaur, vomiting wine from his mouth, fell backwards and drummed with his heels on the sodden sand. His brothers, enraged by the carnage, vied with each other in shouting to one, to arms, to arms, inspired by the wine with courage. They started the battle by sending their goblets flying, then breakable jars and round-lipped vessels, objects intended for feasts, now used for war and for slaughter. Amicius, son of Ophion, was first among the rampaging centaurs to raid the inner rooms of the palace and to plunder an iron stand which supported a cluster of burning candles. He lifted the whole thing high like a priest at a sacrifice, straining to raise the axe which will cleave the neck of the pure white bull, then dashed it down upon the forehead of Celadon, one of the Lapiths. This fractured his skull and mangled his face past all recognition. His eyes burst out of their sockets. The bones of his cheeks were shattered. The nose smashed inwards and jammed beneath the roof of his mouth. But another lapis called Pelates wrenched the leg from the maple wood table and used it to hammer Amicus down to the ground with his chin forced into his chest. As the centaur sputtered his teeth out, mingled with gore, a second blow dispatched him to Hades. Next to the four came Gnaeus, who stood there grimly inspecting the smoking altar and said, Why don't we make use of this? With a frightening glare in his eyes, he lifted up the hefty structure, fires and all, and hurled it into a group of the Lapiths. Two were crushed by the mountainous weight, Boreatus and Arias. Arias's mother was Macaulay, who was said to have often succeeded in drawing down the horns of the moon with her incantations. 
You won't get away with this if I can get hold of a weapon, Exidius said, and then caught sight of some antlers nailed to a tall pine tree as a votive offering. There was his weapon. Armed with the horns of a stag, Exidius aimed for the centaur's eyeballs and gouged them out. One eye stuck fast on the antlers and one rolled down on Grenaeus's beard, blood-coated and clinging there. Let me just tell you, I don't care what they have on TV, this is excellent. I love the Greeks because they are so descriptive and you can actually see this stuff, which I don't think I really wanted to see, but you get the idea of this bloodbath and the personalities of the characters involved. This is really exciting stuff and it's good for you. But we will actually continue this as I help uh, Odysseus get over his sneeze in just a moment and right after these commercial messages. Time for something really scary. A word from our sponsors. Paranormal pets will reappear before you can say Bigfoot. Don't run away. Ooh, get the stinky dog away from me. Bad breath and bad gas. PD stopped eating. All his hair fell out. Itching, licking, missing fur. At least $5,000 in vet bill. Creams, antibiotics, sprays. No results. Everything we tried failed except the Dynavite. D-I-N-O-V-I-T-E dot com. If you want the dog to be healthy, you got to feed it something healthy. The omega-3 fatty acids. Flaxseed, zinc, alfalfa. The digestive enzymes that are cooked out of regular dog food. Dynavite is nutrition. The shedding is stopped and the itching is stopped. Her coat is not soft, it's silky, it's healthy and shiny and glossy. She's got life, she's got energy. Tons of energy, no more bad smell. Dynavite's the bomb. Dynavite is the best thing that's ever happened to my dogs, you know, besides me, of course. (laughs) 859-428-1000. 859-428-1000. Dynavite for life. D-I-N-O-V-I-T-E dot com. Let's talk pets. Let's talk pets. On Pet Life Radio. Pet Life Radio. PetLifeRadio.com. Did you hear that? Our commercials have mysteriously disappeared. Paranormal Pets is back with our haunted host, our ghost host, Brandy Stark. Well, we're getting there. Now he's just yawning. Anyway, welcome back, and we are going to actually continue with our story of the Battle of the Lapiths and the Centaurs. So, we have this bloody battle scene going. It's very exciting, very chaotic, very dramatic, very manly. Until now. How about Canaeus? He killed five centaurs, Antimachus, Diphilus, Elamius, Bromus, and lastly, Pyramicus, who fought with an axe. I can't really remember their wounds, but only their names and their number. Now that tells you there's a lot of gore going on here. Uh, Game of Thrones ain't got nothing on this. Then Latrius, a centaur of massive physique, rushed forward to face him, armed with the spoils of Heliseus, a Macedonian he'd slaughtered. In age, he was past his youth, and his temples were flecked with gray, but his strength was still a young man's. His helmet, shield, and exotic pike attracted all eyes as he proudly turned to each army, brandishing his weapons, and pranced around in a well-traced circle, flinging a torrent of insolent taunts in the empty air. Canaeus, you bitch! Must I tolerate you? You will always be female and Canaeus to me. Perhaps you forget your original sex. Do you ever recall what you did to deserve your reward? Do you think of the price which you paid to achieve this specious masculine body? 
Look at the girl you were born and the shame that she suffered. Then go, return your distaff and basket of wool. Go back to your spinning and leave the fighting to men. Just in case you are not aware from this dialogue, Canaeus was originally born as a woman and was raped by Neptune, who then fulfilled her request to be transformed into a man so he could never be raped again. As Latrius was galloping past him, shouting these insults, Canaeus let fly with his spear, which made a great gash in the mocker's side, where man and horse are united. Maddened by pain, the centaur cast the hero's uncovered head with his pike. The weapon rebounded like hail off a rooftop, or pebbles dropped on a drum. Then Latrius attacked in close quarters. He struggled to bury his sword in the young man's side, but the side was too hard. There was no way in. You won't escape me, he shouted. You'll die on the edge of my sword since the point's been blunted. And so turning his weapon sideways, he reached to slash him around his thighs, but the blows produced no more than a thud. The flesh might well have been marble. The metal was broken to splinters on striking such tough skin. Canaeus was tired of exposing his still unwounded limbs to the stupefied centaur. Come on, he said to him. Now let's see how your body responds to my steel. And he plunged his death-dealing sword right up to the hilt in his enemy's trunk and compounded the damage by turning and twisting the sunken blade right into his vitals. On came the centaur, shouting and yelling, rushing in frenzy, everyone hurling or thrusting their weapons against one foe. These weapons were blunted and fell to the ground. While Canaeus remained unscathed by all their blows, not a drop of his blood had been spilt. This turn of events left the centaurs dumbfounded. Shameful, disgraceful, Moncaius cried. Our whole tribe worsened by one man, hardly a man at that. No, he is a man, and we are behaving as feebly as women. What is the use of this massive girth of our bodies? What of our double strength? His nature combined in ourselves, the courage and force of the world's two mightiest creatures for nothing. Our mother, a goddess, I don't believe it. Our father cannot have been Ixian, a mortal with pride enough to aspire to sleep with Juno on high when we are defeated by someone whose sex is in doubt. Let us roll the boulders, the trees, whole mountains on top of this upstart. Let's hurl the forests and crush the life from his living body. His throat will be choked by the bulk of it all, and the weight will prove as good as a wound. So saying, he seized a trunk and knocked it down, and as it chanced by the south wind's fury, and threw it against his unwounded foe. The rest did the same, and in a short while, Orthreus was stripped of its trees, and Pelion emptied of his shade. Crushed beneath the enormous layer, the hero sweltered under the weight of the trees, and heaved with his sturdy shoulders to raise the pile. But after the load grew greater and greater over his head, he couldn't breathe through his mouth any longer. Consciousness left him. But then he recovered and vainly attempted to roll the trees off his body and to lift himself up to obtain some air. For a while he succeeded in moving the surface as if Mount Ida, which, look, we can see over there, was disturbed by an earthquake. No one is certain what happened next. Some say that his body was thrust right down by the mass of the trees into the shadow of Hades. Mopsus the seer said no. He noticed a rust-winged bird emerging out of the pile and soaring into the air. I also sighted the bird that day for the first and last time. Mopsus watched it gently circling the camp as he heard it loudly clapping its wings. As he thoughtfully followed it round with his eyes, he exclaimed, All hail, hail Canaeus, pride of the lapis, once unique among men, now sole bird of your kind. The prophet said it, and we believed it. Grief made our anger all the more bitter, that one man's life should be crushed by so many. To vent our sorrow, we turned on the centaurs, and we didn't cease fighting till most had been killed and the rest were en route or were rescued by the night. So 
it's a really remarkable story. Canaeus is a, an interesting figure, a continually transformed figure, victimized, taking that and transforming it into, um, you know, going from, and in the Greek world, it would have been a victimization from the, the weakness of femininity to the toughness of masculinity to the point of almost a superhuman ability, you know, to blunt weapons, part of the, the gift of Neptune, and to be killed by suffocation, and then to be transformed into the only sample of your species. Again, you know, pretty interesting. We've got the hybrid human animals uh, who also note their humanness over their animalistic instincts, that as fighters, they should have the advantage, but where strength fails, they do turn to wisdom. They do think through and create a strategy. And it's a primitive strategy, but it works. So the centaurs actually have a lot to teach us. And while I find these centaurs fascinating, I want to share a rather unique centaur with you as we get ready to close up this episode of Paranormal Pets. And that particular one is Chiron. Uh, Chiron, uh, Chiron, right? He basically looks like a centaur, but he's not really related to them. He was notable throughout Greek mythology because he was a good teacher. He understood young people. And in fact, he was adopted by Apollo as a foster father, and he knew medicine, music, archery, hunting, prophecy, herbary, if you will, herbs. And his parents were Cronus and Philyra. Cronus is the god of the sky, and his mother was a, uh, I believe, an Oceanid. And interestingly enough, the ocean, Poseidon, is known also as the Earthshaker, and one of his sacred animals is the horse. And Poseidon himself produces uh, some horse-based offspring. Uh, the uh, human-footed, human-voiced Arian, right, who's a horse otherwise, and even the Pegasus that he fathers with Medusa. So it's kind of fascinating to think of oceans and horses as being related, and perhaps it's because of the waves uh, mimicking the movement of a horse. Now, Chiron, because he's not a pure centaur, is usually depicted a little bit differently. So if you ever look at ancient Greek pottery and you see the centaurs, they will have the torso and head and arms of a man, the body of a horse. But Chiron will sometimes actually have what looks like an entire full human form, including legs of a man. But attached to his rear is the horse's body. So Chiron is already set apart from the centaurs because he is more human than they are. He is often depicted wearing clothing, and clothing is always a sign of civilization. Uh, read the Epic of Gilgamesh, right? He is uh, interesting because Achilles is one of his students, and he actually teaches Achilles to play the lyre, which is pretty interesting. Chiron uh, lived mostly on Mount Pelion. He was married to a nymph who gave birth to three daughters. One of them, Melanippe, I believe is how you say it, was a mare, a horse. One hippie, excuse me, hippie and Melanippe were the same. Uh, they appear to be kind of a horse-based creature. Indus, Orchthrio, and a son, Kyristus, which apparently were fairly human. I just feel badly for that, you know, horse-based birth. Mm. Anyway, he was a great healer. He was an astrologer. He was an oracle. He was highly revered as a teacher and tutor. 
and amongst his pupils are basically a who's who of ancient cultures. Asclepius, Ajax, Aeneas, Actaeon, Canisius, Theseus, Achilles, Jason, Peleus, Telamon, Perseus, and on occasion, sometimes Hercules, Oleus, and Phoenix. And some would even say Dionysus himself, the god of wine. So kind of an interesting idea. Uh, Peleus is the father of Achilles, which would explain why Achilles went to Chiron to be his teacher as well. Uh, Peleus is a hero and he is remarkably strong. He is actually able to wrestle with Thetis and uh, get her tired out enough that she is forced to wed him. It's kind of a sad death story, though, if you're not aware of it. There are a couple of different versions. The one that I like is that uh, Hercules was his pupil, came back to visit with his master, met the young Achilles. Uh, Remember that Hercules and Achilles kind of knew each other. A lot of the heroes coexist at the same time, but that Achilles would have been a child at this point. And uh, Hercules was basically telling him about his adventures, which included the slaughter of the Hydra. And the Hydra is a very poisonous serpent. And he dips his arrows, and there's a couple stories that he dips his arrows into the blood of these serpentine creatures. And in so doing, creates these uber poisonous, lethal weapons that if you're just touched by one, you're dead. And uh, there are a couple of different stories. One is that Hercules was fighting the centaurs and Chiron came out and saw these centaurs being killed by just these little nicks on these arrows. And he picked up an arrow and he said, I don't quite get how this can possibly happen and cut himself and died. Another is that he went to examine Hercules arrows, the story that I like better, because I I would totally do this. So he's looking at this lethal weapon and he accidentally dropped it. (laughs) Yeah, okay clumsy butterfingers, and it strikes his left foot. And even though it's just kind of a glancing blow, it's enough with that poison into his blood. And the story is that for nine days, he tried to heal himself with special herbs, and he couldn't do it. And so as this poor kid, poor Achilles, no wonder he's so temperamental and messed up. But as Achilles looks on, Chiron dies. Now, Chiron was immortal. Uh, There is a secondary story that Chiron trades his immortality for death because he's in so much pain. But in the story that I like, Chiron ends up going to the stars. He passes away and the Greek gods say because of his inspirational life and his ability to train heroes or demigods, whichever you prefer, that he should always exist in this world. As long as there are heroes and demigods, Chiron will exist. And so they take him and they place him amongst the stars where he becomes the sign of Sagittarius and as a constellation continues to inspire us today. I think his inspiration is to overcome our animal nature, to become kind people because he was known as a very kind centaur and to just be better. And with everything that is going on in the world today, that is a wonderful message to leave off on. Honestly, I don't think our pets have to worry quite so much as we. Anyhow, on that note, I'm going to finish up this episode of Paranormal Pets. I hope you enjoy something at least a little bit different. I'm looking at uh, the Minotaur, the Mermaid, the Sphinx, maybe something on the Chupacabra because we just haven't done anything unusual like that in a while, and a future episode of Odysseus and Achilles on location, helping us with the paranormal investigation. That meets the qualifications that they can go on, safe, not hostile. They will not be forced into an area they don't want to go to, and I have permission. So we've got some stuff coming down the pike. It's just now getting to it. 
and getting this out in a timely manner. Please remember to support your local pet rescues. There is a Florida Rat Rescue, which uh, you can find on Facebook. They are fairly active. I have adopted some rats from them. Pug Rescue of Florida is inundated with pugs, so if you want to foster and adopt, please do. And don't forget uh, shelter pets and other animal rescues. If you are curious about any of the other stories or you have a story that you'd like me to talk about on the air, please let me know. Uh, You can email me through this station uh, or through this website. Otherwise, I am going to wish you some happy hauntings and uh, we'll be in touch with some future episodes. Take care. Pet Life Radio presents Paranormal Pets, where you can always expect the unexpected. Each week we'll discuss all aspects of weird or spiritual animal encounters, ghosts, totems, psychic animals, animal souls, animal angels, and animals in religion, with a little cryptozoology thrown in. Step into the supernatural world of pets every week on demand, only on PetLifeRadio.com.